Okay, well, let's pray. Uh, I'm actually going to do, so, okay, so we're talking about prayer, right? Pastor Bruzic, he didn't set me up for anything. Okay, good. Um, and so uh, the, the theme for the next two weeks is, uh, actually, I put it on the top of uh, the handout if you happen to grab it. We might use this. We might not. I think Pastor Bruzic does that, right? Sometimes he actually teaches off the, okay, great. <laughs> the fathers of the church say that prayer properly understood is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. So prayer as a longing for God will be what we're going to talk about the next two weeks. And uh, so I, hopefully this will be a little different. I'll, I'll lay, um, rather than listening to the previous umpteen weeks of Bible studies, Pastor Brzezik said, why don't you just kind of give me what you're thinking? And I'll say, yeah, I taught that or no, I've taught that. Or uh, no, I haven't. And so I gave him my, my, my idea, and he said, oh, I haven't done that yet. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully, hopefully this will be something a little different than maybe you've heard before. But uh, prayer is a longing for God, and so I'm going to open with a, a poem uh, by Timothy Murphy. He's a, uh, a poet. He, he just passed away. He's a poet from North Dakota, and uh, he's a very colorful or interesting biography. Uh, some, some, some of you might struggle against, against that biography, but he came back to the church late in life, and his poems are just wonderful, not only from the imagery of North Dakota Plains, but also spiritually. And so he wrote, this is his kind of, he, this book just came out before he, he died. And, um, oops, the... Uh, this book is called, or this prayer, uh, poem is, is called Prayer, Prayer for so- Sobriety. But um, I, I think it captures kind of what I'm going for. So I highly recommend this book of poetry. It's called Devotions. So use it for your devotions. Okay. Morning glories climbing the garden wall vie with the fragrant jasmine to outshine the sun emerging from a summer squall. Blossom and vine, lover and love entwine. He is the groom and I, the shy betrothed enraptured by the faith I so long loathed. This is the sacramental cup we drank. This the unleavened loaf on which we dine, deliverance from the sins to which I sink. Here is the book, the work of my divine redeemer, at whose word the worlds revolve. Let me return his passion with resolve. And that is from St. John's Hospital in the Prairie. So that's, that'll be our prayer. The, uh, and so part of that, part of that is um, I want you to think about how the longing to be heard is fundamentally a longing to be heard by God. And I have two quotes at the top of there, one I just read earlier. But one is from the Large Catechism, and I'm going to try to use quotes from the Large Catechism really to show you how this is actually in Lutheran belief. Uh, So we're going to talk about the heart and um, how that's just part of our prayer. But uh, from the Large Catechism, this is on the section of the Lord's Prayer. Such promises certainly ought to awaken and kindle in our hearts a longing and love for prayer. For by his word, God testifies that our prayer is heartily pleasing to him and will assuredly be heard and granted. 
Now, this, this perspective of prayer is really a relational understanding. It's not transactional. And I think for most of us, when we grow up under, learning about prayer, we think it's a transaction. And so you have a lot of people wondering how to pray or what are the right words to pray. And I think that's, that's not good. Like, I would, I would love to eradicate that discussion from Christians because does your child ever come to you and say, Mommy and Daddy, I don't know how to talk to you. If they said that to you, how would you feel? Terrible! That you failed as a parent. So imagine how God feels when we say, I, I, don't, I don't know what the words to use. Now, in Scripture, when the, the disciples ask Jesus to teach us to pray, they want to get closer to him. That, that, that fundamental desire or longing to get closer to him is what drives that question. That's an entirely different question than saying, I'm afraid to talk to you. Can you give me the right words to say so that I, I know I can be heard? Right? So this is, this is my basic premise when I talk about prayer, is that prayer is, is really, really a conversation that began at the beginning of time. So I just found out there's no markers up here. So... Yeah, visualize, <laughs> visualize. And now I, I teasingly say that because um, this is a very complicated note. The letter A, the letter B with a arrow going from A to B and B to A, and then the letter C down here with an arrow trying to get in the middle. That is basically what prayer is. God, from the beginning of time, God has been having a conversation with creation, and when we come along, we're trying to see ourselves into it. So it's an A-B conversation, seeing yourself into it. All right. Now, of course, the character of that conversation is precisely what the, the, the creation account is. It's one of life and joy and, and goodness. So, um, so prayer is really kind of listening to what God is saying and then joining into that conversation. So one of the most so we want to we want to be able to be heard. But, of course, we also need to hear. So one of the most important times in our lives to be heard is when we cry out. And is there anybody Bruce Springsteen fans in here? Just so happens to be I picked him. Uh, There's a a variety of musicians. But uh, Born to Run, Paul, you know Born to Run? There's a lot. Okay, so the point, though, is is at the end of Born to Run, right, he kind of bellows out this. I'm not going to do it, but... um, (laughs) Mainly because I never do it right. I just do it my own version. And if you can ask my kids, Daddy always does his own version of songs. So <laughs> I'm not going to do that. The uh, more of a jazz, rock and roll kind of guy. Just kind of, you know, improvise. The, the thing is, though, is that he lets out this big cry, this belt at the end. And it, it, if you've never heard Born to Run, Born to Run is all about getting out. Getting out of the small town. It's, it's, it's seeing a world. It's, it's going deeper. It's... It's getting over the horizon to see more. And at the end of the song, he just is like, he's like, James, you want to do it? Or Paul, you want to? What's that? Yes, it's I would say it's the cry of the heart. And, and what that means is he really wants, he wants to go deeper into life. He knows that there's more to this life than what he's experiencing. And he desires to enter into that. And that's precisely what prayer is. 
That is, that is what prayer is. You are entering into this longing for God because you know God is the only one that can satisfy that deepness or fill that up. Now, um, so, you know, this is the thing is that, you know, whether Bruce Springsteen is probably not thinking about God when he sings Born to Run. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's not. But that desire to go deeper, that desire for more, that yearning for that longing is arguably in each one of us. Okay, so we, we, we are always looking for this. So, you know, it's actually in the small catechism. Okay, so I'm hoping that maybe, the, you know, pointing these things out. Um, and the section of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, what does this mean? I'm not going to ask anybody to recite it because i got it written down. Although I, I use different translations. With these words, God tenderly invites us. Or he, actually, another way to translate it is God wants to entice us. That's from, the, from another English version. Or tenderly urge us. So think about a person who wants to entice us, tenderly invite, tenderly to urge. This is God, is, God wants to hear from us. There's nothing more in life than him, I mean, for his life, to hear from us. To believe that he is our true father, that we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask him as dear, or in other ways, loving children, ask their dear or loving father. I mean, this is language, for some of us, we just kind of roll past it without kind of meditating upon it. But first, God desires you, and second, desires us to desire him in return. As the lover loves his, longs for his beloved. Now, if women's Bible study Friday morning, this might sound familiar because this is the language of the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. So does God long for you, and as such a relationship will not be exhausted. You, so, this, so, yeah, so will prayer be a lifetime endeavor? You know, uh, Paul says, you know, we should pray without ceasing. We're all like, how can I pray without ceasing? You know, I'm I gotta like go to my job and think about numbers, or I gotta clean a toilet or something. How can I pray without ceasing? If you understand prayer as this longing for God, that answers the question. When do you stop longing for God? Well, never. So you have this ceaseless longing, ceaseless desire to grow closer and closer to God. So, um, you know, this is the character of the relationship when we when we kind of talk about prayer. It's, you know, the, and the conversation with God. So I, I like to think about it in three ways. This is helpful or not helpful to you. There's other ways of talking about this. Um, prayer is two lovers talking. Uh, it's, in fact, I would say it's, it's, it's two lovers talking in a place where they're completely vulnerable to one another. You know, we have, we have uh, I'll let you figure out where I'm thinking of that. Uh, or daddy holding his daughter close, listening to her. Or then finally, I think, uh, the, a soft gaze of a mother watching her child breastfeed. I've seen that before. And you're, I'm thinking, it's a perfect picture of prayer. So this is the character of the longing where, you know, uh, as dads, when you have cho- uh, girls, you know, a lot, they just want to be heard sometimes. They they, uh, they they don't want to be have anything fixed. I, I, if you, if you uh, dads with girls, you know how that is. Um, my youngest daughter. There's nothing worse in life than being uncomfortable. 
screaming. Oh, man, Holly and I run upstairs. What's going on? My sock is, you know, wrinkled. (laughs) Okay. I am very, I I mean, I I make that trip upstairs to see what's going on because I'm thinking she's, we have a loft bed. Maybe she's, you know, hanging by her leg. I don't know what's going on. But she just can't get her sock on. So, but of course, I I love to come up there. I mean, as a dad, I I mean, I'm frustrated, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, that's good. I should do this. That's right. Um, So, you know, this this time where, you know, as a daddy, I love to hear from my, my girls. And uh, so anyways, so this is the character of things when we enter into this. So the reason why I set this up is because when things, when this doesn't work, is, is really important. But if you think about those three pictures, they're very, I think they're a beautiful picture. Um, prayer is motivated by a love of beauty that's caught up in God. So again, I want us to think about this, this conversation with God is not something that's transactional where we have to say the right words. But in fact, this is the conversation that is, is what gives us life. It's beautiful. And of course, the promises of God are beautiful. You know, that if, if uh, you've gone through the small catechism or large catechism on the Lord's Prayer, there's all this level of certainty language. We enter into prayer because we know God made this promise. But what's the character of the promise? The character of the promise is, is it's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's, um, in fact... Next week, we'll talk about adoring God in prayer. Uh, two of our hymns today, we, we sang that language. And we didn't get to uh, the sweet name of Jesus, or what is it, Peter? I can, yeah, how sweet the yeah, name of Jesus sounds. Great title. All right, we're getting into this, this kind of frame of mind. The gifts of God are beautiful, of course. I mean, the Holy Eucharist, baptism, family, all, all this. And, of course, then, God is beautiful, then. And that would have been, I don't know how many years ago Pastor Bruzek talked about this beauty, but hopefully this conjures up in my uh, memories. Uh, and I use the beauty language in this because beauty entices. Uh, beauty in, is joyful. It, it satisfies. You know, uh, born to run for those who are big Bruce Saint fans. I mean, that's just, man, that's good. That really, that really just satisfies when you're at that point. Or when you see a beautiful film like Andrei Tarkovsky's The The Sacrifice, you know that that something has struck a chord in your heart. Or, of course, seeing anything beautiful, so a beautiful piece of art, or even a beautiful person. Of course, when I say beautiful, I'm not talking about skin deep. I'm talking about that type of person where you experience life every time you're around this person. That that person's beautiful because they're creative. Okay, that's ideal, right? This is, this is the way God made us. This is the way God made the world. But, of course, sin comes along and beauty is destroyed. And then our heart cries out in pain. And so this is really important for us is that, um, uh, like, for instance, I, you know, I've, I've had people who've come and, and they're very concerned about offending God. They seek out pastoral care, pastoral advice, and, and I can tell that they're not saying exactly what they want to say because they know that what they really want to say comes because they're, they're mad, they're angry, and they feel like they shouldn't be mad at God. Well, uh, no, you should be mad at God. 
First of all, read the Bible. We're gonna, I'm going to show you just a couple of examples. But you cry out to God. You're mad at God because you know it's not, this is not the way it's supposed to be. So the cry of pain is good. God is not, so Jesus will say, or even in Job and a variety of places in the Old Testament, God is not a respecter of persons. Does that, that phrase sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> um, that doesn't mean he's disrespectful and like, treats you like garbage. It's actually nothing can offend him. You can't offend him. You know. So if you cry out swearing to God, you know, because remember, we know what the promises of God are. We know the gifts of God, and we know God is spirit or love or however we want to describe them. And what we are experiencing or seeing is not in line with that. So you, you cry out to God because, you know, things have been broken. Psalm 6 is just an example. I, just, I, I listed three of them. I, I could have put 130 there. That kind of gives you the whole breadth of the Psalms because there's 150 of them. But um, the great phrase, How long, O Lord? So Psalm 6, verse 6 and 7, I'll read this. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. Okay. This is a person who's crying out. Uh, moaning. It hurts so much, I can't even, what? Speak words. Okay, this, this, is, um, this is a person who's broken. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes, my eye wastes away because of grief. Some of us maybe have never experienced that, but uh, have you ever cried so hard you can't see? I mean, it's like hard. It's hard. Yeah. So it it grows weak because of my foes. Why? Because his foes. This is not like circumstance. This person, these are bad things happening to this person. Doesn't seem right. Earlier in the psalm, David asks, it's the psalm of David, by the way, asks, how long? And then he goes into this. How long is my crying going to last, God? How long are you going to let my foes break me? So this is a prayer. I, you know, Psalms are prayers, by the way. So Psalms are prayers. I know they're poetry, but it's, it's a prayer. So we have this. God is at fault. I mean, David knows that God is at fault. I know we don't like to say that, but God... God, God is the one who causes this to happen, but God is also the one who consoles. And so what happens in Psalm 6 and the rest of the Psalms that deal with these great cries of pain is that, and we'll actually take a look at it when we, the cry of joy, the deeper cry of joy in Psalm 13, is what happens is that there's the great cry of pain and... God, you're up to this. I mean, you're doing this, but yet I know that you are the one who will fix it, redeem this. 
And at the end of Psalm 6, for instance, it's a little longer, but in Psalm 13, it's really short. It's a six-verse psalm. There's just a confession. It's a statement of belief that my, my, uh, my God is my Savior. Now, this would be, we sing this every, a certain day of, of every year. This, I didn't, I didn't include it in the list because I want to give it away. But next time we do this, we'll do this in, on April 19th, maybe? April 18th, 19th. Psalm 22, Monday, Thursday into Good Friday. Uh, that is a psalm, a cry of pain, okay? But if you, if you pay attention, at the end of this, there is a confession. If there's, no, there's no, like, resolution. Like, for instance, when you cry out to God for someone who's died, what's the resolution to that? Make me feel better? No. You want that person alive again. I mean, if you're asking for God just to numb you, we've got to work on our prayers. You're shooting too low. Okay? You, so, I mean, this is the thing, is that you, God lets people die. He has the power to rise them from the dead. This is uh, Mary and Martha in John 11, right? But if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. They didn't say, Lord, I really feel bad about Lazarus dying. Can you make me feel better? No, they, they want Lazarus alive again. So this is something that when we cry out in pain, we are, we, but, but the thing is, though, is that we have this confession at the end where we say, uh, Lord, this, this, you are here. Uh, so Psalm 13, in fact, here. So what's great, though, is that when we always think that uh, our pain is the bottom. I always love it when people say, I, I, hit, I hit rock bottom. I know we say that kind of just kind of casually, and it feels that way. But if you really hit rock, who's at the bottom of hell? Be careful what you say. God is. God is everywhere. I mean, he, there's not a place in this universe where he can't be. So when you, when the pain, if you believe the pain is the bottom of your life, you're forgetting someone. So what is great about the cry of pain is that there's a deeper cry of joy. And that is, that is in the Psalms. Psalm 13. There's probably better Psalms at this, you know, but it's a good one. I, I don't know all of them by heart, by the way, so... How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Now, of course, when I read it this way, you're like, Pastor, could you just maybe read it a little nicer? But I want to get to the end here. Well, I'll just skip to the end. All right, um, verse 5, there's only six verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. They just, they just say it at the end. So they, uh, the psalmist knows underneath that pain that God is there and that there is a deeper, deeper joy that will resurrect. So think about it. I, just, you know, we, I had a funeral yesterday for Janice Lehman, and I was thinking about this. 
as I'm looking at the grave, because I knew I was doing this, you know, today, and how, you know, the body is laid into the grave, but yet underneath there is someone who's going to lead Janus out of the grave. That is, that's the cry of joy of prayer. That's, that's the thing. And, um, is there any, any Les Mis fans in here, by the way? Les Mis are up. Now, of course, I'm, um, we've been having really bad technical difficulties with this projector, so if it doesn't work, I might act this one out, okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> we will see. We will see if this works. But um, just in case you don't know anything about Les Mis, oh, well, let me just backtrack a little bit. So I, I had to read this novel. My, bas- my college basketball coach made us read this over the summer. Sounds a little strange, but he was a strange guy. <laughs> he was great, though. But um, So I had to read Les Mis over the summer. Now, there's, there's, like, there's really two versions of Les Mis. I don't know if you know this. I mean, there's like the kind of the real big one that's like a thousand pages, and then there's the like 12, 15 volume set of Les Mis that's like, I don't know. Vicar, how, how, how many books is it? Is it fi- five volumes of, yeah, so it's about 5,000 pages maybe. I didn't read that one. I thought I read, I thought I read the one that was like, you know, like I'm, I'm a pretty cool guy because I read Les Mis. Little did I realize that that wasn't the case. Um, a lot of the the, the battle in Paris, I think, it was edited out of this, the one I read. So, um, but uh, the point is, is uh, we're, this is a musical also. And Holly and I, when we, several years ago, I don't know, a long time ago, we went to see it in Chicago. And I, I have to be honest, I was a little stuck up about it because I had read the book. So I went, I was like, yeah, it was pretty good, you know, master of the house, keeper of the inn, yada, yada, yada. And then, in 2009 or 12 or whenever this musical came out in the theaters, my first thought was like, whatever. Mary Caesar gives it to me and says, Pastor, you really got to check this out because I've thought of you. Um, so she shows me... Uh, not this, this was part of the clip that she showed me, and I instantaneously was like, whoa, i got to check this out. So, um, I, I really like this musical. Um, <laughs> I can't say I'm like a musical guy. Like, I don't, you know, I personally don't run around singing. Um, but this scene is the main character, uh, Jean Valjean, who was uh, stole some bread, went to prison for 20 years, basically. He, in those 20 years, he's become a man full of hate. But yet, he steals from the church. He's caught. They bring him back to the, this uh, cathedral, and the bishop pronounces forgiveness and basically wins Jean Valjean's soul back to God. This is the immediate after, aftermath. This is a cry of pain and a cry of joy and a prayer. Now, if you've seen it on stage, the, he sings towards the audience. See, but in, in the film, he's, he's not necessarily singing to the audience. Anybody who's seen it, who is he singing to? 
literally, he's on his knees in front of a crucifix in a chapel in front of the altar. Holy smokers. Um, where do you get married? In front of the altar. Where do you receive the Holy Sacrament? In front of the altar. So this prayer now is in front of the altar. He's struggling. Now, at the end of this, we realize it's not, there's, no, there's not actual real resolution. There's the resolution that comes at the very end of the film. So uh, he's seeking forgiveness. Does it, again, I, it's okay to be nerdy about this movie. Hopefully I've made that abundantly clear. Uh, at the end of the film, Jean Valjean's dying, and his, his uh, adopted daughter and son-in-law are with him. And in the film, uh, he's dying, and then Fontaine shows up. She's dead. She is... If she'd stayed alive, she probably would have been his wife. And when she shows up, he says, he says something very profound. He asks a question. Am I forgiven yet? His prayer is not answered until he's dead. So, this cry of joy and this cry of, I mean, cry of pain and cry of joy is not something that he says a prayer and then, hey, I, I feel good. Happiness is not part of this situation, but joy is deeper than happiness. Joy, is, is, joy can go into the grave. Okay? So, oh, too many crickets. You're supposed to help me out, buddy. Okay. Um, I, we tested the volume earlier. Vicar, do you know how to turn the volume? It's dial two. There was nobody in the room when we tested it, so it might be a little, <laughs> might be soft. Oh, can you turn the lights off? What have I done, sweet Jesus? What have I done? Become a thief in the night, become a dog on the run. Have I fallen so far, and is the hour so late? And nothing remains but the cry of my hate, the cries in the dark that nobody hears. Here where I stand, the turning of the years. Is this another way to go? I missed the twenty long years ago. My life was a war that could never be won. They gave me a number and they murdered Tom Shaw when they chained me and left me for dead. Just by screaming, I'm not full of breath.
All right, turn the lights on. Um, thanks. Okay, so he's, uh, he's, he's th- that's a pretty, pretty powerful prayer. He's had a lot of bad things happen to him, but it's only, it, did it only happen to him, or did he have parts in it? Yeah, I mean, he's filled with hatred. He hates, he hates things. There's a world of, of law or a world of gospel, or a world of grace. And he has heard this relationship that God wants to have with him, and he, and he really can't believe it. He struggles to believe it. But yet at the same time, he goes to Christ and you know, says this, this wonderful thing. And at the end now, he is now going to decide, he got off his knees now, and he's like, I'm going to leave that world behind. Now, if you know the story... He doesn't leave, actually leave it behind until he dies because it's always catching up to him. So he's always learning what it means to be forgiven. He's always saying prayers. This film is filled with prayers, by the way. Again, I, I, didn't, I, I don't think it was, that's how it was when I saw it on stage. So I, I really am a big proponent of this. I mean, the, the book especially, but the uh, musical presentation, but with uh, Hugh Jackman as this character. Um, so... It, it's, it's one of these things where you, um, it's full of pain, but it ends in joy. This joy that he, he knows there's another world exists, but the, the joy is not entirely fulfilled. But it's fil- this joy is filled with hope and passion. He's talking with God, but is, he's wrestling with God. You see that? He comes back and forth, right? He wants to leave, then he's drawn back in, and then he gets on his knees and he confesses, and he knows that he's a new man, and that's when he gets up and walks away. So um, he's, he's wrestling between the, the pain and joy. Now I have to ask you, is this a, a cerebral prayer? Is this one that he's probably is very, you know, would you consider that a very academic prayer? No, holy smokes. Um, it's a prayer from the heart, Okay. Uh, now, this heart language for us who might know is our hearts, and he confessed his heart. What was his heart filled with? 
hate, shame. Oof, it's a dark place. But even though uh, we might think about our hearts that way, that's actually not the whole story. I have a very long quote from the Large Catechism, which I will not read. It's take too long. But uh, the, one, the other one is, if you ask for such things from the heart, you can be sure that God is pleased. So what is the heart? Uh, the heart, you know, okay, okay, our heart is a beating, it's a beating organ that pumps blood through our bodies. Okay, great. But what does our heart mean? Our heart is, is kind of our hidden center. It's what makes us us. So it's not just like an emotional metaphor. Like we have our head, and then we have our heart. Heart's more than that. When, when, when we read it in these, the large catechism, or we even read it in Holy Scripture. So it, it's something that is who we are. So it encompasses more than just our emotions. It, it encompasses our identity. The thing is, though, because of sin, the heart turns into be a very scary place. Uh, in fact, the large catechism says the heart is just desperately wicked. Desperately. Oof. And always flees from God. But then it also says it's the place that pleases God. So, sin makes a heart a, just like this never-ending dark place. I've heard it as a kind of an abyss. Of course, though, when we try to fill our hearts with ourselves or we try to turn to get away from God because of what's happened, the only person when we turn away from God is who do we turn towards? Now, you, you might make it, say, other people, but at the end of the day, you just are turning towards yourself. And so, with your heart full of sin and desperately wicked, you, 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 you don't... Yeah, that's an awful place to go. But then God shows up. And when God shows up, the heart is the place where only God... Only God can go into the abyss. God can occupy the abyss. Where if we jump into the abyss, we continually fall. But why can God occupy the abyss? Because there's no end to him. So, we want, we want a heart that's occupied by God. That actually, uh, you know, transforms things. So, when that happens, our heart is actually filled up. So the heart becomes a wonderful place. Once Christ enters into the heart, he becomes the source of the heart. He becomes the source of the prayer. And we see two specific prayers. Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. My heart exalts in the Lord. And then, of course, uh, the Virgin Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. The word soul is the same idea as the heart. How can these women actually say this? Well, they can deny reality. You know, the world's not so bad. But Mary's song especially, who does she rejoice in? God, my Savior. It's a confession. So the heart that sings out, or the heart as being the source of prayer, is actually your heart joined to God's heart. Uh, when I was in Vilnius, Lithuania, this last summer, 
there's a uh, famous image of Christ called the, the image of divine mercy. It was, uh, it was a, a nun, Polish nun, that's beside the point. But it, it's an it's a, it's a image of Christ with a hand of blessing, and there's light coming out of his heart of a red and a blue, which is, signifies the, the, um, the water and the blood, or the blood and the water. I said that wrong, so it's blue light, red light, water, water and blood coming out of Christ's side. And I think sometimes we miss the, the point is that, you know, the spear doesn't just go randomly into the side. The spear goes into the heart, right? And Christ's heart comes out, gushes out. So this connection between Christ's heart and your heart is the source of prayer. And then that's how the catechism can say the heart's full of, you know, sin. But yet when you ask from the heart, it pleases God. Because the new person, the baptized child of God, is now new and can ask for things. Remember, it's two lovers talking. It's the daddy holding the little girl close or the mom holding the breastfeeding child close. That is the, con- the character of the conversation that's happening. So... When you have that as your image, then, yeah, you want to hear you, whatever your kid has to say, you want to hear it. Now, of course, our, our, we have God as our father who's loving. Not of all of our fathers have been loving. Um, and so we have to make sure we understand these analogies. If your world doesn't match those worlds of lovers and parents and children... Well, praise be to God, you have someone like that. Christ is your lover who loves you. God is your father who truly loves you. And, of course, you have, you have the church, your mother, who loves you. So I don't want to get bogged down on those, those things, but this is this closeness, intimacy. And uh, we'll just finish real quick here. Uh, Jesus and the women at the well is an example of prayer. We don't have enough time to read it, so I'm just going to... Hey, Matt, could you shut that door? You know, I brought up my phone to actually check the time. I, that clock is a little slow, but I've been going off that clock, so I know we're one minute over. Um, what, okay, so the women at the well, Jesus is making a, a, a journey through Samaria. What's interesting about that is he had to go through Samaria. That's what the Bible says, he needed to go. But technically, he doesn't have to. So the fact that he's going to this well means Jesus is up to something. He needed to go. So already with that statement, we know that Jesus is going to the well to meet this woman. So what is the woman seeking? Water. What is Jesus seeking? Unless we miss that, we think it's water. But she's, he's actually seeking her. And we know that because does he ever get any water? No. So who acts first? Jesus always acts first. He's, he's the A and the B conversation. Now, why does Jesus ask for water? What's the response the woman says? Oh, here, here you go. No. He asks for water to elicit, to entice you to respond back to him. That's, that's the small catechism answer. God entices us, tenderly invites us. So he's inviting her for not just 
to, to, to talk to him, but at, precisely to get water from him. Now, um, that water, though, one of the things that's very interesting about this text is that um, do Samaritans and Jews have dealings with each other? If you know your ESV, you'll say no, but that word dealings is actually a, a, a verb where like, they don't share eating utensils. What does the woman come to the well with? A water pot. They don't share water pots. But at the end of the text, which, again, this is such a long text, and to imagine to preach on all of this, so it'll be really, she actually, if you guys remember this, she actually leaves the water pot at the well. Is Jesus really interested in filling up her water pot? No. He's interested in filling up her. So she comes into this thinking that Jesus is talking about one thing, and Jesus is about to give her not just living water, that's actually metaphor. Who is the source of water? Christ. So she comes, he, enti- he entices her to ask of him, and he gives himself. This is the relational aspect of prayer happening. Is there pain and joy in this encounter? Does this, pain, this woman have pain? Oh, yeah, oh, Absolutely. However, reason why she's had these five husbands and the one she's living with now is not her husband. That's beside the point. This it, is awful. I mean, this is a sad. This is terrible. But at the end, what does anyone remember? What she said? What does she say after Jesus? Jesus. She interacts with Jesus and leaves the pot behind. She leaves the pot behind, and who she? What does she go do? She tells the people in town. But she, what does she say about Jesus? I met someone who knows everything about me, has entered into my heart. And is she ashamed of everything she's done? She was. There's a deeper cry of joy that's just burst out. Because what did you say? If you, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him for living water because there would be a fountain of living water coming out of you. So this is, this, is, this is what can happen in prayer is, um, you know, if we had more time, we would spend more time with it because it's really great, wonderful, beautiful things. But the woman at the well is a story of prayer, a prayer that is first heard from the cry of pain, but then Jesus delivering the deeper cry of joy. And, of course, then that source of overflowing water is precisely the heart that Jesus has entered into. Through his word, through his sacrament, you can you know, say all the buzzwords if you want, but it's, you know, he, he comes. And so this is, uh, this is now, this is the character of the prayer. So this week, when you say your prayers, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how much you long for God. Because he longs for you. And then, based on that longing, just say, say whatever. <laughs> say a prayer. I, yeah, you know, say his name. You can say his name. You know, dear Lord. Oh, I'm sorry. Last thing. <laughs> Psalm 6. Moaning. Right? My bed's, mo- I'm moaning on my bed. Romans chapter 8. First of all, what, what does Paul say about us crying out to God? We cry out to God, what? Abba, Father. 
And when we have, the Holy Spirit says what? Words too deep for words. So the, 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 the sadness and the, the, the moaning that happens actually is transformed into great um, shouts of joy or just kind of this over like, you just have so much joy and you just kind of like blurt out. I don't even know what that sounds like, but let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I will see you next week.